Thank you, Marilyn. Oh, come Christians, join to sing. I'm ready to sing. How about you? If you would like to stand, you may. If you need to be seated, that's fine too.
Beautiful song. Gordon, it's good to have you back with us again today. Thank you for being here. We appreciate that. And Nancy, thank you for covering the piano this morning. We appreciate that so much. Welcome. Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We thank you for being here. Another great day of worship and celebration. And thank you for taking the time. If this is the very first time that you've been here or you've never filled out one of our guest cards in the pew in front of you, there are those cards. I'd love for you to fill them out. And when you leave, just drop them in the uh, offering boxes. We would appreciate that. Today we begin a brand new series of messages. Our focus is on Psalms of the Heart and Challenging Times. We go through the second part or second half of the Psalms, selected Psalms over the next about 10 weeks to focus on how God speaks to us through incredible music, the Psalms, and the poetry that he gave each, not only David, but each of the Psalmist. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. If you were watching any kind of news anywhere or reading anything on social media, you saw so many stories, testimonies, reflections on what happened 20 years ago. I know for myself, it sent me all the way back to Seattle early in the morning waking up with Debbie having that TV on as she was getting ready for, for work early and seeing everything that was transpired. Within the next day, about seven of our Covington Maple Valley area gathered together with a house full of worship of people coming to pray and to side by side ask God to bring about healing, encouragement and strength praying for uh, the families, friends of all those who were killed. It was a unifying time. And I reflect 20 years later, it seems like in our country, we're more divided than ever before. We need God to bring about a spiritual awakening. And God wants to, and that's the desire of his heart. It comes from him but he does tell us that if we ourselves, as the people of God, would turn from our sins and seek his face and pray that he would bring about healing. And I believe that that's exactly what we need to do. And so today or this morning in my prayer time, I'm going to continue to pray for the family members, those affected by 9-11 and our country that was profoundly affected praying for God to heal, to encourage, to strengthen, and to bring a unity, a, a spiritual awakening that cannot be broken in this nation. If you would join me in prayer, I would appreciate that. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We are mindful and thankful for all that you do for us, for you are the creator. And God, you are the all-powerful, almighty one. We know that your heart's desire is to gather together those who are hurt and wounded, those that are discouraged and grieving. And Father, even some 20 years later, there are so many family members that are grieving the loss of loved ones and friends. So many stories 
And God, I just ask for your continued divine intervention within the lives and the hearts of those families and those friends. And Father, our nation as a whole, we continue to grieve. And yet we have hope. But the only hope that we see in the current situation that we have and we live in is you. And Father, that's what your word says. The plans of men go by the wayside. The chariots that rumble for war, they do not make the impact. But you, the creator God, you're the one who comes and puts his loving arms around us in these times of difficulty, of discouragement, of hurt and pain and suffering and grief. And you are the one who will bring hope and strength and encouragement. You're the one that can bring together people and bring about spiritual awakening. And God, you rely upon your people to fervently pray, to be the people that you actually have set apart. And God, keep our focus upon you, to seek your face and be obedient to what your desire is and for us to pray. And God... That's what I call us as a church to do. And believers across this nation, to pray for spiritual awakening, for a movement that God will only come from you. And we beseech you for that. Because we want to see the wounds healed, the hurts reconciled, the grief turned into hope, what we want is God for you and your presence and the power of your spirit to lead us powerfully. And in humility, we ask you and we beg you, use us to accomplish the means of healing that you desire. And God, in this day after the 20-year anniversary, let us continue to stand straight and voice our belief in you and be your hands and feet to help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue our time of worship. Who can satisfy my soul like you, Lord?
Let's continue our worship with prayer. For the blessing of coming to you in prayer through our high priest Jesus, your only begotten Son, who turns the awkwardness of our words to beautiful phrases to you. Lord, you know our hearts, and we pray if there is anything lacking in our worship, that you will forgive us and wash our slate clean so our worship will be pure and unblemished. We think of the words of David in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A beautiful phrase could also be interpreted, the Lord is my shepherd. He provides all that I need. You have blessed us as individuals in our daily walk with you. You have blessed us with the freedom to come together and worship in peace that so many in the world do not have. We pray, Father, for all your people that risk their lives together in your name. We pray for the missionaries that have given up the comfort of home and families to serve you. Many serve with the threat of death in the hands of unbelievers. We pray for the many believers and others who were not able to leave Afghanistan before they could not, because they could not reach the place of departure safely. The many who suffered the tragedies of Storm Ivan, the tragedy of 9-11. We pray, Father, for all the people who have suffered from the ravages of the COVID virus pandemic and ask that you end the crisis by whatever means you choose. We pray for all those in this place of worship and within our hearing, that you bless them and touch their hearts with the Holy Spirit to repent of their sins and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and faithfully follow you. We pray for the peace and unity of this church and the revival of the spirit and love that binds us together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week is the week of prayer for the state missions offering for the Arizona Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, as we pray this week, each and every day, I pray that you would ask God to continue to be with so many different ministries with our about 475 churches and missions the new church plants the the needs that are being met all the different ministries that our convention has we help support that through the state missions offering there is an envelope in the pew in front of you I hope that you will take that and through the course of this uh, of this month that you'll be mindful in asking God what he would have you to give above your tithe to the specific ministries that you'll be hearing about in these videos through the week and uh, through the month. Our missions committee has set a goal of $4,500. Uh, that is uh, a great help toward what God is going to do this next year with a state goal of uh, some $200,000. They met their goal last year. And the focus was helping churches through the pandemic. Churches helping to pay their bills, their pastors when people weren't coming to church, when the offerings were low, to make sure buildings uh, continued to be in the church's name if they were leasing them, mortgages were not uh, 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 
taking those churches away. There were so many different dynamics that for us, we never felt. But in our state, with smaller churches and in rural areas, it was very, very difficult. Your help last year and the help that you will give this year will make a difference. Let's watch this video. Each year, Arizona Southern Baptist Churches give collectively to the Arizona Mission Offering. These funds allow those ministries to continue in the work that God has given them to do. Last year, we had to make a shift in this offering so that we might be able to help churches that were suffering from the pandemic, helping churches in crisis. This year, we desire to restore this funding to those ministries to support them in the work that God has given to them. Thanks to your kindness, Christian Challenge was able to walk with Gabby through her spiritual journey. Now, as a baptized believer, she's engaging her college campus for Christ. Recon Valley Cowboy Church found the perfect piece of property for their campus, but didn't have the necessary funds to make it happen. Because of your gifts, we were able to grant $20,000 to this church purchase the land and make their dreams a reality. With your help, we were able to provide churches like Enchanted Hills Baptist the tools that they needed to find clarity of purpose and direction, resulting in greater focus, gospel participation, and community engagement. Because of your generosity, Arizona Disaster Relief could help Mary. After losing her husband, her home was severely damaged in a monsoon flood, and we were able to step in and help with her recovery effort. Even after all that she had been through, she told us that the Lord had brought her the help that she had needed. It's because of you that we were able to train leaders that could disciple Camila, helping her find her purpose and live a forgiving, grace-filled life. Because of you, we could take care of pastors like Dustin and his wife, Jennifer, sending them along with 150 other couples on a retreat where they can relax, refresh, and recharge. And it's thanks to you that through the Ministers in Crises Fund, we were able to help the Marquez family. After losing Gary, their father, husband, and pastor, we were able to provide financial and moral support in their time of need. It's because of your kindness that Zona Camp is able to be an outlet for God to touch the lives of students like Andrew, who after attending for several years, felt the clarity and the confidence to dedicate his life to ministry. sixth chapter of Isaiah, he receives a vision of the Lord lifted high. It's a wonderful section for us as we worship. Think of that this morning as we sing this song. I see the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his temple, the train filled the temple. Think of the presence of God all around you. 
as we focus on the Lord this morning.
choir, thank you so much. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm for the things of God. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. We see enthusiasm accomplish amazing things. I'll never forget being in Bayfield uh, Field in Seattle in 2001, I believe it was, and uh, they had just won their 116th game of the year, tied the most of any major league team in the history of Major League Baseball. Debbie and I were down right behind home plate, benefit of, of, her, uh, of her job, and I tell you what, you could not even hear yourself think. The decibels of the noise, you just stood there and turned and looked, and the cheering was absolutely incredible. You couldn't talk to somebody right next to you and hear them. Now, I would say that was enthusiasm, wouldn't you? <laughs> we see enthusiasm in sports. We see it in business. We see it in politics. If you ever see any of the, uh, uh, the early war movies, there's always the person who is about to lead the charge that gets the troops going and gets them excited and helps them remember the mission that they have. Enthusiasm is absolutely critical. Sometimes we think that in church we shouldn't have enthusiasm. It's, it's not religious. It's not sacred. The reality is that enthusiasm is absolutely incredible to accomplish what God's desire is. God was never, his intention was never to just come and be dull and just attend as a group. There's something totally different about that. I believe that the church ought to be the most dynamic, the most alive, the most exciting place that you could possibly be. Now, I haven't seen many churches that have been quite like that. But there ought to be this desire, this buzz within this body of Christ and every other body of Christ in this nation. That what we have is something that is valuable. Something that is so valuable that the Creator gave His Son to give it to us. It ought not to be taken lightly. The psalmist expressed how we ought to feel about God and his work when he sang in verse 9 of Psalm 69 for the zeal of your house consumes me he says for zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who fall on me that word zeal means enthusiasm the word consume means to devour it means to burn hot within. So the psalmist is confessing that he has a burning desire, a burning zeal for God and for his work. That's a symbol of his house. He was excited. Within him was this expression, this feeling, this burning desire to say I want to do what God wants to do 
When Jesus cleansed the temple, his disciples applied this verse to his actions. In John chapter 2 and verse 17, they remembered that the scriptures declared that the zeal of God would consume the Messiah. Not only was David enthusiastic about God and his work, but we see just based on John 2.17 that Jesus was too. <laughs> he was enthusiastic about what God's plans were. And I believe that now what the psalmist spoke about himself and what the apostles said about Jesus ought to be true to us too. There ought to be an enthusiasm. We need to have a burning enthusiasm for God and his work. We'll say, but yes, but we're senior adults. And so we just don't have a lot of enthusiasm for a lot. <laughs> the reality is that we have enthusiasm for what we want to have enthusiasm for. Every single one of us. I were to talk to you there is something that you love to do in your life and it is your passion it might be art it might be building something through one of the clubs it might be reading I mean I can go through every single one of you and there is something that you just love to do this is the kind of enthusiasm that we're trying to communicate what is enthusiasm? It is not the, uh, the rah-rah, sis-boom-bah of people going around all the time saying hallelujah and praise the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not a cheerleading process. No, enthusiasm is a combination of excitement and energy and expectancy. The word enthusiasm actually comes from two words meaning God in us. When God comes to live inside of us, it always should result in excitement and expectancy and energy concerning God and God's work. Enthusiasm is often the difference between success and failure in the work of God. And if we want God's work to go mightily forward, then we must be enthusiastic about it, not just checking off a box that I did this. And if it's not enthusiastic about it, then what happens is it becomes somewhat drudgery and I got to get up and go to church today or I got to get up and go to that meeting today I gotta I gotta instead of you know what I have the privilege and I have the honor to do that God has given us this incredible opportunity and privilege so I think that there are probably at least six areas about God's work that we ought to do uh, that we ought to excite us and I think that probably most of us and as a church as a whole, we do get excited about these six areas, but I want to point them out to you today. First, we ought to be enthusiastic about the meetings of the church. Oh, I can already hear it say, oh, the groans are coming. <laughs> meeting after meeting after meeting. Will Rogers, a, a wide sage from a different era, said this, the government taxes people to build roads and the Baptists wear them out going to meetings. You know, I've been to so many meetings, as a number of our retired ministers here uh, have in all of our years of ministry, might feel like the dying man who uh, had been in church all of his life. And his friend came to him and said, listen, I, I just want you to know, just think, Joe, there will be no more partying on the other side. 
And Job said, oh, I don't care about the parting. I just hope there are no more meetings. <laughs> yeah, meetings. I guess you probably heard about the poem about Mary and her lamb. It goes like this. Mary had a little lamb, and it was quite a sheep. It went to all the Baptist meetings and died for lack of sleep. <laughs> you know, there's not a one of us that just like to go to meetings. But I want you to take a step back and reflect for just a moment. Biblically, meetings are important. And I'm talking about meetings in general. Because God does some things when his people meet together. The disciples were meeting when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. The church was meeting when Jesus commissioned them to be his disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. The church was in a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. And we ourselves are commanded as believers not to forsake our meeting together until the Lord comes, according to Hebrews 10, 25. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I'll tell you this. We don't go to church to score points for, for God. He's not keeping a chart of that. There are going to be no perfect attendance, pins, or awards in heaven. No, we should go to church for the blessings that we receive and that we share with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We go to meet God. We go to make friends. We go to find inspiration to keep going. We go to grow in Christ. That's why we come together in our meetings and I think that every one of our meetings ought to be meaningful. Probably over the years, that's where we have not done as well as, I'll just say, Baptist. We just meet to meet. But the reality is that every meeting that we come together, we ought to have the central focus. Whether it is a church service like this or whether it's a committee or team meeting, there ought to be a focus. There ought to, every single meeting, it must be worthwhile. If we're going to take the time to do it, then we've got to make sure that it's both meaningful and beneficial. That people are encouraged and inspired, sensing what God wants, and moving forward with what his desire is. That is how we can put our best into the realm of enthusiasm. And so we ought to be enthusiastic about the meetings of the church. You don't have to go to all of them, because we have a bunch. But they all serve a purpose. I'm reflecting of of a number of the meetings that happened this past week, the small group meetings, the Bible studies and the SOS and, and the partners on mission, the men's breakfast, those kind. There were all kinds of different people at all those meetings. I, there were very few that went and went to every one of those meetings. And yet, each one of them had this sense that I go here to get something meaningful and beneficial and to be a part of who and what God desires to do. Secondly, we ought to be enthusiastic about the members of the church. Now, strictly, uh, strictly speaking, I think that people are not in the church because the people are the church. You and me, we are part of the body of Christ. You know, buildings like this one did not come until the 3rd century A.D. Churches did not build buildings until then. The people gathered together and they were still the church. So if we met outside in the parking lot, we would be the body of Christ. If we met somewhere uh, in, a, in a strip mall, 
we would be the body of Christ. One of our church plants in a, in a school, they are the body of Christ. And as we talk about the body of Christ, we see that Paul expressed this truth in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 when he spoke of the church as the house of God. The word house means household or family. You see, the church is the family of God. God is the Father, and we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, which makes us a family. That's who we are. So as members of the church, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. And I think to understand this, uh, this concept that we are the family of God will change tremendously and affect how we do church. Because if we go about striving to accomplish the vision God has for us, and we're looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're wanting to encourage them and to help them. We're wanting to pick them up. <coughs> in times of need, and to say, you know what? The scripture's very clear. There were two or three are gathered. God is there. Two and one. The scripture says, you know, we are to bind ourselves together to accomplish the things that God desires. We are the church, and I think it will affect us tremendously. When we come together, we enjoy the fellowship. You can see it. When you come on a Sunday morning and go to your Bible study class, I go and try to hit some of them every single Sunday morning before they start so I don't interrupt. But uh, what they're doing is they're, they're talking to one another. They're talking they're laughing, they're telling stories, talking about the week that they had. They're sharing their experiences. We see it in the fellowship time between the services. We see it here in the worship center before we start. People engaging in conversation, talking, family. That's the way it ought to be, the fellowship. And I believe that that's what brothers and sisters do. When the church comes together, it should be like a family reunion. I know there are some of you that uh, you don't have really a lot of family there are others of you that just, if you took a family photo, you couldn't put everybody in. But you know, as the body of Christ, we are the family. We're here to fellowship, to be a family reunion, to, to tell stories, to encourage one another, to be friends and to be friendly, to have things in common because our common bond is Jesus Christ. We have that connection. The church comes together and we worship and the worship service ought to be meaningful and beneficial. It also should be a place where we meet God warm and relaxed. A place that we go and understand that, that as a church family, we ought to be able to be ourselves here. We shouldn't put on some kind of a front to come to church on Sunday and the rest of the week we're just a totally different person. We come together relaxed and as a family with this bond in Christ saying listen family these are the needs that I have or here's what God is sharing with me here's what God has courage we we edify one another and we get encouraged and we accept the edification and the equipping that's that's the body of Christ we should be loving we should be accepting and we should be forgiving of one another we're family we're family. Members of this family, we have to remember that there are some of us who have been believers a long, long time and very seasoned and mature in our faith. There are others within our family.
they are more like in the adolescent range of their Christmas Christian faith. They haven't had that deep relationship. Maybe they haven't been believers, you know, that long. And there are others that, my goodness gracious, they're like babies. They're just, they've just been born again. They've just given their lives to Christ. We don't have many of that here, but let me tell you, we do have some. And so we look at each other and we say, regardless of where our spiritual maturity is, we are a family, so we come together to encourage and to strengthen each other. My sister is 16 years older than I am. My brother is five and a half years older. <coughs> As we've gone through the years, I've always been the little kid and actually probably a little spoiled. And actually, I don't mind that. My sister loves. She, she kind of raised me the first three years of her life before she got married and, uh, and, uh, and went on with her life. But as we look at ourselves over the, all these years, there's always been this age difference and this experience difference. There are differing viewpoints because we've, all through these years, we've had different experiences and different vantage points. But you know what? When we all come together, which usually about once a year, the three of us get together. We get to sit down and talk. There is incredible love that flows between us. It doesn't matter what our opinions are on this and this and how we might express them over the course of the year through a text or a phone call or whatever. When we get together, those things are negligible because we're family. No matter what age we are or what stage we are. So we must be enthusiastic about the family of God, that is the members of the church. Third, we ought to be enthusiastic about the ministers of the church. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he wrote that God had given gifted leaders as part of his spiritual gifts to the church. I believe that churches rise and fall with leadership. And I believe that God desires that it's his will that the church be led by a loving shepherd. A loving shepherd and a ministry team who has a passion for the sheep and for the lost. It is a dual process. It's not a place of dictatorship or authoritarian leadership. It is a place where the body of Christ gets together. God has brought a spiritual leader into the family to give vision and direction and to love and to care. True pastoral leadership is a leadership that ought to be biblical, it ought to be moral, it ought to be ethical, it ought to be loving, it ought to be visionary, it ought to be redemptive, and it ought to be compassionate. These are the characteristics and the traits that a spiritual leader, a minister, and the ministry team that the church has that they ought to give and give of themselves. We not only need to be enthusiastic about our leaders if they are following those biblical standards, but also we need leaders who are enthusiastic and passionate about God's people and God's kingdom. So I believe that we ought to be enthusiastic about our ministers if they follow that direction. And we pray that we are. Fourth, I think this tells us another area is that we ought to be enthusiastic about the message of the church. You're probably getting the theme of all the M's here, aren't you? You're probably not taking the, uh, the notes as much. <laughs> the message of the church. So 
talk about that. Enthusiasm, the burning zeal that God has, are we enthusiastic about the message? Well, Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christ clearly tasted death for all mankind. And through faith in him, we experience that abundant life here and eternal life in the hereafter. <coughs> I uh, read about Elizabeth Swank, who was the widow of uh, Fred Swank, who pastored the Sagamore Hills Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas for 40 years. I think he was actually the founding pastor. said after their retirement, they went spent a year in Holland working uh, in relation with the Foreign Mission Board at that time, now the International Mission Board. And one of the things they loved to do was go to the military cemeteries to look and just read the, uh, uh, what was said on, the, uh, on the, the tombstones. She said there's one that she never would forget, and it was this. To the world, just another one. To us, the only one in the world. Those were by the loving hands of a father and mother whose son laid beneath the sod. I think about those words. And I think, yes, that's exactly how we ought to feel about Jesus. See, to the world, he's just another one. But to us, he is the only one in the world. There's no other name given under heaven whereby persons shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except by me. He is the one, the only one. And so for us, I think we need to be enthusiastic about that story that most of us have heard since we were small. And we should not only have it in our minds, but it should be in our hearts we should desire to share it with others. As Paul said, God was reconciling the world to himself. And then he went on to say, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing man to God. That's our responsibility. We ought to be enthusiastic about it. And so Paul says, we implore you, we plead with you, we beg you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We ought to be enthusiastic about that. That old, old story of Jesus should be told with a new freshness. That the bread of life must never be stale in our lives. We must stay excited about the message of the church. <coughs> Fifth, we ought to be enthusiastic about the mission of the church. I don't think any church should ever wonder why it's in existence. And yet there are some churches that are just wandering aimlessly. They're just meeting to meet. That's not our church. I think our mission has been set out for us once and for all because I think God has given 
that specifically to us through his son Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you until the very end of this age. Jesus himself gave that command to us. And so he has given us our mission. That should always be our mission. However we reward things, you know, to, to give our vision and our mission, the thrust is the same. We're here to communicate the good news of Christ and to baptize them and to disciple them. And through that discipling process, caring for the needs of one another. We always call that, uh, we always call that passage the Great Commission. But because we, as a, uh, as a Christian group, whether it be Baptist or all Christians together, we're not making an impact into this world. We can see that. The greatest growing group, I think I've told you before, in our country is the non-religious, the fastest growing group. And if, if that is happening, this could be called the great omission. Because God's given it to us, but we're not doing it. You know, I think believers across this nation, they have committed this passage to memory but few have actually practiced it. Years ago, there was a stat. I don't know if there's one out now or not, but it's, uh, it said in Southern Baptist life, only 5% of, of Southern Baptists have ever led someone to Jesus. I don't know where that is today. Only you will know yourself as you're reflecting on it if you have led someone to Christ or if you've been part of that process of developing or sharing or planting or watering or weeding or harvesting are you engaged in that see we have a mission that God has given us the church is to help people be born into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ and once that has happened it is our responsibility to help these newborn babies grow to full Christian maturity and you know what? To me, that's an exciting mission. Doesn't matter what age we are, God has placed us right here with 25,000 senior adults with a large capacity. The large number of them do not know Christ, and their next step is going to be eternally separated from God. We are here in these years to try to make the connection and minister to them and do everything we can to share the good news. We ought to be enthusiastic about the mission. The message, the mission. Last, we ought to be enthusiastic about the master of the church. The scripture says concerning Christ as the head of the church in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. reminded about a, a gentleman I read about who was rich and uh, he had a visitor into the community and he was showing him around the town very proud of his town and and he got to the place where he got in, in, into the church and he parked in the church and uh, and the man said uh, okay this is my church and the guy that he was showing around town said oh is this where you belong 
And the guy said, no, this is my church. <laughs> the reality is that it wasn't. It wasn't his church. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. The scripture tells us he is the head, and we must never forget that. You know, I've had children when I uh, pastored in, in other churches they would come in, little kids, and they'd say, man, is this, is this your house? <laughs> no, it's not my house. I might spend a lot of time here, but this is Jesus' house. We always have to remember that. Because sometimes, as members, we might think this is ours. We own this place. But as we look out among the body of faith, we all are members of this beautiful body. No one wields more ownership or power than anybody else. I remember my very first church, my very first business meeting. Never conducted a business meeting before in my life. And so I sat in front of the folks and we had a few things to discuss. We were about to vote on a matter. And I'll never forget, it was the weirdest feeling. When the vote was called for, and I said, all in favor... This little congregation of about, uh, there's probably about 40 people there. When we took the vote, everybody turned around and looked at the back row where there was a deacon. And they were waiting to see how he was going to vote, and then they voted. <laughs> well, that was an eye-opener for me. And you see, that's not the way it is here. I look within this body of Christ, and it should be the way it is in every church. We, we see what we're here for. We're here for the Master. We're here for Jesus. We're just doing the work as we go along. I believe that we've got to be enthusiastic about the, the Master, about His leadership, His will, and His plan. And if we do, I promise you, the church will go forward in power. We should all heed the admonition that the apostle paul gave to timothy in second timothy 1 6 he says for this reason i remind you to fan into the flame the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands that is such a powerful statement to fan into the flame the gift of god Listen, enthusiasm and dedication to God's Word once was a burning passion to this young pastor named Timothy. But his years in ministry and his going through the various desires of meeting the needs of the people and helping to equip them and striving to reach out, that somewhere along the line, that zeal and passion might have diminished he might have neglected that fire and so paul says for this reason i remind you to fan into the flame the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands in other words that's just an admonition to all of us because most of us here have been believers for a long time and we know the scriptures most of us very well and sometimes familiarity without passion and without enthusiasm 
will cause us just to begin to coast. And that's not what Paul wanted for Timothy, and that's not what Timothy wanted for Timothy. We need to go back and we need to revisit that amazing time, not only when we gave our life to Christ, but those amazing spiritual markers in our life when we met Jesus as a believer and we caught on fire again. I'm going to tell you that some of us might have lost our twinkle in our eye. We, it's possible that we might have lost a spring in our step or maybe the song in our heart. Maybe you've been engaged in ministry and, and got burnt out. 2004, 2005, we invested a lot of time in our, in our church in, in the, the Seattle area, a lot of time in embracing Seattle, striving to, to reach this, this whole area of, at that time, uh, a number of millions of people back in early 2000s. And you know, after with that completed and, and we kind of settled in a little bit, I promise you, I was just worn out. I was burnt out. And I really had to take a very strategic process to go back and to rekindle that fire and that enthusiasm. And it can be done, and it should be done for all of us. So if you've ever felt burnt out, striving to do what God wants, if you've ever been burned in a church and you said, I'm just not going to do this anymore, I ask you, to reconsider because we don't want the dull gray ash of complacency to come around our soul we don't want to, to, to see the master and say well I just couldn't push it the last little bit it's a long race and when we get toward the end we do get tired I ran track but not very well. But I know that if you don't pace yourself, you're not going to get to the end. You want with everything that you have to be enthusiastic about the master of the church so that when you see him, you will hear those great words, well done, good and faithful servant. This is a good time for us because as I've walked through these six areas, areas that we ought to be enthusiastic within the church, I look out across our membership, the folks that are here, and I see people that love to serve Jesus. I just want to make sure you keep your enthusiasm. I want to do everything I can to help stir that up. I want to make sure that we fan the, the flame of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us through our renewed prayer and Bible study, through our ministry which touches the lives of both members and those outside that need help. I want us to make sure that, that God's Word consumes us so that we ourselves can be enthusiastic, so that we can come with the psalmist, with David who said, for the zeal of your house consumes me when you get ready to come 
and be a part of the family of faith here for a meeting or anything else. I want you to feel enthusiastic. I don't want you to have to say, man, it's another time. I want you to say, gosh, you know what? I look forward to seeing so-and-so. I look forward to, to talking with them. I want to I go get coffee with somebody over here because I think they're going through a tough time. I just want to meet with them and put my arm around them and say, I'm here for you. We have people within our congregation that come, we come together in this, uh, in this setting, but, you know, frankly, they're a little bit lonely. They're hurting. And maybe, maybe you some of those folks. And this, as the household of faith, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters, we ought to be enthusiastic to come and say, yes, I'm here for you. I want to be here for you. Because the zeal, the enthusiasm of God, his house, his family, it consumes me. Father, as we move into our invitation, I pray that zeal, that enthusiasm will be with us. And we know that it might express itself in different ways. We realize that we're not all outgoing. But Father, what's inside of us is what's important. And that enthusiasm to accomplish the desire of your heart. And most importantly, to have an intimacy and a depth with you and at the same time to be able to hold our brothers and sisters hands as a family and say I'm so happy to be with you and I want to help you and I pray that today that father that would be the church that we would continue to be and be your servants so whatever decisions today need to be made, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to those individuals and those decisions will be confirmed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and let's sing our invitation hymn. I'll be here at the front for whatever decisions are being made.
Go ahead and be seated if you would. Thank you very much. I wanted to, as Nancy's coming to, to share our uh, opportunities for this week, I wanted to uh, remind each of you that this Tuesday at 1045, we're going to meet in 112. This is our, the new time for our a church-wide prayer meeting. It is specifically focused on prayer. Uh, we have uh, some, some, a lot of prayer requests, but it's a time for us to gather together. So I hope that you'll take that uh, about 45 minutes, come, and uh, let's join together in prayer. I promise you we'll not put you under, under any kind of, uh, of uh, pressure to pray out loud. We just want the body of faith to come together to pray intently and uh, I hope that you'll be there 1045 and then the Bible studies on Thursday it's not too late to join the ladies Bible study the men's Bible study at 10 o'clock on Thursdays some great studies taking place 36 ladies came last week to the weekly Bible study and 20 gentlemen came to the men's so as Dr. Kennedy has just said it's not too late for you you are encouraged to participate this Thursday at 2 o'clock, Page Turners will be having their organizational meeting in the CLC. That's the new name for the previous book club. So if you would like to participate in that, come Thursday at 2 o'clock. There are sign-up sheets in both the Breezeway as well as the main lobby for the movie, which will be a week from this Thursday. It's entitled A Question of Faith. We don't need to know if you're coming for the movie. We'll just look forward to seeing you there. But we do need to know if you're coming for lunch at 12.30. We need you to sign up for the lunch if you plan to come. The cost is $5, and we'll have lunch prepared for you, or ready for you at 12.30. First Family Fellowship on the evening of September 26th, that's a Sunday, at 5 o'clock. You'll want to come and be part of that, a spaghetti dinner. You need to sign up for that if you're coming, so we'll have sufficient food. And then we will have some music by Susan Krause. Susan is the daughter of Phil and Dorothy Swab. And you, if you've heard her before, you know you're in for a blessing. And then we will have a brief report from our vision team meeting. There are also next Sunday opportunity for us to hear Vera Howard, who is a missionary with the International Mission Board. And she will be speaking for us in our morning worship service. So lots of opportunities for you to be involved and benefit from those when you are. Thank you. Well, this morning we have, Judy, why don't you come right up here if you would. This is Judy uh, Walter, and uh, Judy has been attending for a while, and today she said, you know what, uh, this is the opportunity for me to come and join this family of faith. And Judy, it's so exciting to have you with us today. And I'm going to ask Carol, I think you're, you're her teacher, is that right? Would you come and stand with, with Judy? Judy, as our folks, uh, as we end the service, our folks are going to come around this direction, and they're going to give you what we call the right hand of Christian fellowship. They'll stop and talk, they'll wave, whatever they, they do. Uh, and basically, they're saying two things. Welcome to your church family. And secondly, we're going to be uh, praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead to accomplish what God wants. We are family, okay? All right. Right here, and uh, we will continue. Would you stand for our closing prayer?
May we pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Bless us, Lord. Guide us and teach us your way. Thank you for this time together that we have indeed felt your presence. Thank you for this one who's come to join us. Bless us now, Lord, as we go our separate ways. In your holy name we ask it. Amen.